Hello everybody, my name is Nkozy and welcome to the Two Sides of a Coin podcast. Sorry I couldn't join you guys last week, had some travel plans that got in the way, but I'm back and this week we're going to dive into not one, not two, but three movies to catch up. First movie we're going to talk about is the latest of the Disney Rides into Movie program, which is Disney's Haunted Mansion. Then, for our next two movies, we're going to jump right into Barbenhammer, which means we're going to talk about the Greta Gerwig-directed, Margot Robbie-led Barbie movie, and we're going to talk about the Christopher Nolan-directed, Killian Murphy-led Oppenheimer. So, let's get into it. The interesting thing about Disney is at the end of the day they have so many properties a lot of them that they've created like mickey mouse and donald duck and goofy all of those animated characters that we all love they've also acquired things where they create movies and tv shows about them they acquired star wars and they create movies and tv shows they acquired marvel comics where They're making movies and TV shows based off of it. However, there's one really interesting side note that Disney does make that I've always found super interesting. And that is Disney will take the original rides that are in Disney and they will make movies off of them. And it's not something that's one here, one there. They've tried to do this 12 times. Well, 11, if you don't count the first one, which was Tower of Terror, which was only a made-for-TV movie. So, if you count that, you get 12 movies that Disney has tried to make franchises based off of the rides that they have in their theme park. For example... Haunted Mansion, the movie we're talking about right now, that isn't even the first Haunted Mansion. There was a prior Haunted Mansion that came out. That one was in 2003 with Eddie Murphy, where him and his family, they acquired a Haunted Mansion. Now, the movie did okay. It didn't blow the doors off financially, but it broke even. It was hated by critics and honestly i had to sit down and really look it up and let me tell you after looking it up and watching it i completely understand why it didn't do well so the haunted mansion reboot that came out already had this weird energy of you already tried it about 20 years ago it didn't necessarily work then so what's different then than now well one of the big differences is simply that you could say you got a lot more well-known actors in this movie you have uh, Lakeith Stanfield you have Tiffany Haddish Owen Wilson Danny DeVito And Rosario Dawson, as well as Jamie Lee Curtis and Jared Leto. 
they're all in this movie. So you could make the argument that this movie has a stronger cast than the first Haunted Mansion movie. However, I think this movie has other reasons for it being different and better than the previous Haunted Mansion movie. So let's talk about those things now. Number one, as I mentioned beforehand, the main leads for the movie are really good. I really like them. You have Lakeith Stanfield. He plays Ben. He is essentially a guy who's attached to the paranormal. Now, some of this stuff I'm telling you happens in the first couple minutes of the movie, so you're not going to be surprised here. But Ben, he comes in. He's like, hey, I'm an astrophysicist. I deal with lenses and cameras. I worked on the Hubble telescope. I'm actually kind of a big deal. And during a New Year's Eve party, he meets somebody. They vibe. All of a sudden, next thing you see, this dude is the worst tour guide in New Orleans. He is really not good. And he's snarky. He's drunk. He's not having a great time. But now that we see him, we have to wonder, well, how did he get there? Also, you have rosario dawson who plays gabby she's the person who purchases the house the haunted house as well as with her son travis who's played by chase w dylan later on they're joined by danny devito who's a college librarian you have owen wilson who comes in as a priest and tiffany haddish who comes in as a psychic as well as with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Jared Leto playing other roles that I won't get into to not spoil the movie for you. So in these kinds of movies, in these action comedies, the place that it really relies on is it relies a lot on the chemistry and the overall charisma of the main cast. So that means if the four to five people that this movie is built on, which is Rosario Dawson, Danny DeVito, Owen Wilson, Tiffany Haddish, and Lakeith Stanfield, if they aren't able to give you that charisma through the screen and look like they actually work on screen, this movie falls apart before it can ever say a word. Thankfully, this movie does not fall apart whenever the main cast is on screen which is the majority of the movie it works it actually has some movement it has a decent pace and you don't feel like you're just going through the motions with them you feel like hey when these people are all on screen together you feel like that's when the movie's actually at its best. Or when you at least have three of them together, you feel like the movie's really running on a real good clip. So I get my hats off to all of them. 
what I'll also say for Disney's benefit is that Disney allowed these characters to really be themselves. As you notice, this is mostly an African-American cast. I mean, you have Rosario Dawson, you have Tiffany Haddish, you have Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Chase W. Dillon, who plays uh, Rosario Dawson's son, he's also black. So you have a lot of those tropes where why would this family stay in this haunted mansion if they know the mansion is haunted? And they give you reasons for, hey, here is the reason why they're staying in the mansion. Here's the reason why they have to solve it instead of just going away. It makes perfect sense once they say that. So I was really happy about that. Also, I liked the fact that in this movie... You know, even when they're all coming together, you felt the personalities of all of the actors just flow throughout this movie. I like that. Also, even though this is a comedy, I'll give it big props for one big thing. And that is this movie seems like it actually has jokes written out in a script instead of just having the comedians in this movie improv the script. It's become a thing over the past couple of years where if you get a comedy and you get a good comedian where you will have them improv a lot of the jokes that they tell. Now, this can work. However, I feel the best times, the best comedies that we see are ones where the jokes are actually crafted for the most part beforehand. So there is very little improv. Instead of it just you writing the story and then insert joke here and have the characters who are the funny ones have the comedians all come up with the best lines. That's why I really like the humor in this movie. The humor in this movie is subtle it doesn't necessarily hit you over the head with it every single time and because it doesn't hit you over the head with it because it picks its spots it's actually really good and when they're when they're actually you know telling a joke you you're able to laugh a lot more often than i feel like you would if it was just punchline after punchline after punchline which can happen in comedies also this movie very surprisingly has a lot of heart this is a movie where some of the themes that run throughout this movie is grief and moving on with your life after experiencing profound grief so it was very surprising when you get into this movie and you get certain scenes and you're like wow this is a lot deeper than you would think. I'm not going to lie. There were some moments where even I had a slight mist in my eyes. Especially one at the end of the movie where it's supposed to 
show these characters like connecting or Lakeith Stanfield's character is getting that one big connection with somebody. That moment, even though I could tell it was coming, it was telegraphed. It was executed so well that I really didn't even care because it just came. It hit me and I was like, oh, yeah, that hit me. All right. That that is surprising. So as I said, I'll give big props to the movie for that. Another thing I'll say about this movie and the, this will be my last good thing about this movie before I go into the bad is I think Haunted Mansion at its core works because this script was not written for Haunted Mansion. What do I mean by that? What I mean is you could have taken this very same script and you could have told me it was written by any other studio. You could have had Sony do this kind of script. And I think this movie would have still worked, not because this is so tied into the lore of Haunted Mansion. Because if you've been to Disneyland or Disney World, you know that all the rides have lore attached to them. This movie doesn't necessarily super rely on that lore. It uses it as a very vague outline for what to do in regards to the mansion. However, outside of that, this movie tells its own story and it uses that framework to tell that story. It's not shackled by that framework. So I'll give big props to the screenwriters for this movie because this movie could have been anything else except Haunted Mansion and I think it still could have worked. This could have been 13 Ghosts the sequel and you could have had this exact plot and just put that name over there had a little bit more gore and I think it still would have worked. So that is when I think the Disney ride movies are at their best. It's not when they stay completely 100% faithful to the lore of the ride. It's when they tell a story and they use the framework of that ride as a very, 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 very loose outline. That's what worked with Pirates of the Caribbean. And I think that's what works with Haunted Mansion. So... That's my good. Now, what's the bad? Well, a couple things. I've noted that when the main cast is on the screen, this movie is at its best. So, when the main cast is off the screen, this movie is at its absolute worst. Thankfully, it doesn't happen often. However, when it does happen you are really dragging your feet. So this movie does two big sins that I hate in movies, period. Number one, what this movie does is it has a lot of tell, not show. What that means is in order to get information to you, it does a lot of 
exposition where it will have a couple of not lengthy exposition dumps. However, they do slow down the story a lot when they happen. So they have a couple of them. And once you get those couple of lore dumps, you're just after the first one, you're looking at your watch whenever you get one thinking, okay, let's uh, let's speed this thing up. I think that's simply because they are doing a lot of telling. And even when they try and just show what they can, the first lore dump was okay because there were some visual aids to go along with it. However, later lore dumps definitely drag on. They feel just, I don't need to know this. Even if I do need to know it, I don't need you to tell it to me like this. I would love it if you could just move on. But that's not what we get, honestly. Second thing I do want to point out in the negative column, the CGI. Now, the CGI is not bad. That would be one thing. CGI, however, is incredibly basic. It's nothing to write home about. Is it as bad as like the Flash? No. This looks like the CGI in this movie looks like it could have been done by a high school FX class. Like I said, this looks like it was using the basic of basic in terms of the visual effects. So it's not a huge detriment. However, you do feel like ah, I see where you cut the budget on this. And that budget seems to be from the CGI and not, you know, anything else. So that's that's my second gripe. My third gripe, honestly, is with some of the side cast. So you have Jamie Lee Curtis is in this movie. Jared Leto is in this movie. They're fine. There are scenes in this movie that I felt like Dan Levy, Winona Ryder, is in this movie. They could have been completely left out of this movie. And I feel like it would have still been a fine movie. You did not need those characters in this movie. And that part, looking back on the movie, just slowed it down. Because, yes, you got a couple of good laughs. However, the good laughs were not coming from them. It was coming from other people. So... I'm not going to knock anybody from getting, you know, paid. I do think their roles were largely redundant in regards to this movie. So I have to I have to knock off points for that. So what's my final review of Haunted Mansion? Well, the CGI and the effects are nothing to write home about. The, it does have some points where it slows down. Also, it has some points where you could have just shown us instead of telling us or trying to tell us as much as you told us. 
you did need to make the story super complicated. You could have just shortened up some things about the bad guy's motivations, about the bad guy's backstory. Sometimes we don't need to know all that stuff. And I feel like it still would have been an effective movie. But this movie relies not on the CGI or the effects or the bad guy. It relies on a story of grief, loss, and how to recover from that grief and loss. How to move on from that grief and loss. That is what this movie relies on. And there are some pretty powerful moments in the movie to illustrate that. So I have to give them big props. I think they were largely successful. In my opinion, this movie is a high home-cooked meal. You walk into this movie, and you may be surprised. You may cry once or twice in this movie. Do not let the fact that it's a kids-friendly Disney movie, don't let that fool you. This movie is really effective at pulling on your heartstrings. So let me know what you guys think. Let me know. If you agree, if you disagree, if you did not see what I saw at all. And I would love to hear your comments in the email or in the comment section below. So as I've mentioned a couple weeks ago, there was an interesting situation going on with two movies that were going to come out head to head. Those movies being Greta Gerwig's Barbie and Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. And the reason why it was so interesting to see these two movies face off head to head is because they were so different. One was about a fictional character with a star-studded cast. The other one was a documentary or a pseudo-documentary about a real-life figure, Robert J. Oppenheimer. So they were very, very different in how they were presented as well as what their goals were. One was a drama, one was a comedy, one was more lighthearted, one was more introspective. The list goes on. So, so while these two movies have been so counter each other an interesting phenomenon happened where people started to talk very much about how they were going to go see both movies together which formed into a interesting pop culture moment which was called Barbenhammer where people would go see the Barbie movie and the Oppenheimer movie in the same day now sadly I could not see both movies in the same day. I really wanted to, but I just didn't have time. So I saw them both on separate days. And the first movie I'm going to talk about, Barbie, that was actually the first one that I saw. I saw Barbie on a Tuesday, and I saw Oppenheimer on a Wednesday. Mainly because of time constraints, it's much easier to fit Barbie in during the week than it is to fit Oppenheimer in just because of not only my schedule but 
Oppenheimer is a three-hour long movie. So let's talk about the first part of Barbie and Hammer, which is the Barbie movie. Now, for those of you who don't know Barbie, which is kind of surprising because Barbie has been around for a very long time, the Barbie brand has been around for a very, very long time. In fact, it's been around since it was first released in 1959. So we're talking about an incredibly long movie. Now, with Barbie, it was launched by Ruth Handler. The interesting thing to see is how much Barbie fever has swept across the entire internet. I mean, if you try and search Barbie right now, your Google search will turn pink because Barbie famously wears pink. You'll see people crowding into the movie theaters all wearing pink because they're going to go see Barbie, which just goes to show that really the seeing of this movie has transcended just a regular movie and it's gone to be like a pop culture moment, which is actually pretty cool. However, just because something is a pop culture moment doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good movie. So let's dive into Barbie and let's see if it's actually a good movie or not. So the interesting thing about the Barbie movie is it the first two minutes of it resemble the trailer that you would see for the Barbie movie, which is the trailer where you have the kids who are playing with dolls and then Barbie shows up and then the kids are destroying their play sets and the other dolls to go play with Barbie because Barbie was so much of a revelation at the time. And then it goes in and it talks about how Barbie has changed over the years, how the face of Barbie has changed, how the jobs that Barbie can do has also changed. And at the end of that very nice intro, they talk about how Barbie has done so much for womankind and how it made women equal amongst men and it solved all the problems of the world just with Barbie. Now, if you heard that silence at that statement, you might have just heard a faraway voice in your head just screaming cap, which is perfectly valid because it definitely was. That sets the tone for the entire Barbie movie. This is a movie that is built on being subversive, not only about Barbie as a character, it's also being subversive about some of the themes that are within it, about what it means to be a person, what it means to be a Barbie, what Barbie thinks it embodies versus what Barbie might actually embody. And honestly, that's pretty cool. Now, going into the characters, you have Margot Robbie, 
playing the lead character of Barbie. However, when we talk about Margot Robbie's Barbie, an easy way to think about her, she is either Barbie classic or, as they call her in the movie, stereotypical Barbie. Essentially, it's the joke that when you think about Barbie, you think about Margot Robbie's Barbie. And there are a lot of Barbies in this movie. You're going to see, you know, Dr. Barbie, President Barbie, you know, writer, physicist, Judge Barbie. You're going to see Mermaid Barbies. And you're going to see some very familiar and recognizable faces as those Barbies. So if you are the kind of person that loves to just look into the crowd and see hey i know that actor i know that actor you're gonna love barbie land where the barbies are because you're gonna be doing that constantly whenever you're there you're gonna do that with the barbies and you're gonna do that with the kens so if you like that you're gonna have a great time also what's barbie without ken well, they're peas in a pod, so of course Ken is going to be played by Ryan Gosling. And these two are together in the way that life-size, real-life dolls would be together. Where, yeah, they're together, however, they don't do anything. Not together, at least. Barbie is going out, Barbie has their life, Barbie has fun, and Ken just kind of hangs out at the beach, because that's all Ken does, because that's his thing, his thing is beach, and they make that very clear. Now, when we're in Barbie land, I did find it interesting that we're getting a lot of real interesting tidbits about Barbie, about their world, and we're also getting narration about Barbie, and I was hearing the voice, and I was like, that voice sounds very familiar, and the narrator is actually Helen Mirren, which I don't even know how they got, but hey, Greta Gerwig has some pull there, so it's really interesting in the first part where they're in Barbie land and you're seeing all these different Barbies and all these different Kens and how these characters react what they're doing how they interact with one another some of it didn't work but I'll get to that a little later however when you look at Barbie land you're supposed to get the thought that this is a picturesque world it's a picturesque world in the way that any kind of imaginary world is so of course what happens is margot robbie's barbie starts to go through some stuff so as you see in the trailers she has to make her way to the real world she has to find out what's going on because if she doesn't, she's going to be in trouble and quite possibly Barbie Land could be in trouble. So, 
as we see in the trailer, Barbie has to head out of Barbie land. Ken tags along because, of course, Ken is going to tag along. And once they're in the real world, they start to interact with real people. They start to interact with this world that they thought they knew, but they really don't. And that, I think, is where the most interesting part of this movie is. So the first good thing about this movie, and I'm not going to go more into the plot after this, is the actors, the main leads, are really, really good. And I mean, they carry this movie throughout. So... I already talked about Margot Robbie. I already talked about Ryan Gosling. Also, America Ferreira. Those are the three linchpins of this movie. It's like a three legs. It's like a three-legged stool. If one of those parts didn't work, this movie would fall flat on its face. However, because all three of them work, this movie is able to sail through some pretty choppy waters and I'll talk about that more later Margot Robbie she comes across as yes she is a doll yes she does not know everything however Margot Robbie's Barbie actually has a nice little emotional center she is a stereotypical Barbie doll that does not mean that she is dumb that just means she does not have the life experience that a regular person would have. But honestly, when you're talking about people who are dumb, you don't need to look very far to find somebody who makes Barbie look incredibly smart. And that's when you find Ken. Ryan Gosling kills this role as a Ken who is a himbo, but a himbo scorned. I don't want to get too much into it. You will see what it is in the movie. However, the twists and the turns that Ken takes, honestly, are hilarious. That's, there's, there's nothing else I could say about that. And America Ferreira comes in. She plays a mother and a employee of Mattel, the company that makes Barbie, I thought she was really good in this movie. She gets time to really dig into the storyline and the script. And when she's able to do that, I think it comes across as genuine. Outside of that, you have so many other co-stars that they do their job. They're not amazing, but they definitely do their job. Also, you have, in regards to the story, this story is very ambitious. And I will give the movie credit for that ambition. This could have been a very simple, by-the-numbers movie where it's all self-contained in the Barbie universe or in Barbie and the real world. But they touch on some very interesting concepts. They talk about death. They talk about the patriarchy. 
They talk about equality. They talk about the ideal of Barbie versus what Barbie actually stands for in the real world. So there's a lot of really interesting avenues this movie takes. Also, another thing I like is this movie has a really great it has a really great way of picking and choosing its nostalgia for old things, for things in Barbie's past. They will point out to the audience, hey, look at these Kens. These Kens might have been discontinued after a while, so they're not around, and it's surprising to see them. They might do clothes, and the clothes might be special Barbie variants, and what I did like is at one point, one character is throwing clothes out the window, and the clothes would be thrown out the window, unfurl, tell you what the clothes was, and then ball back up and fall to the ground when it was in Barbie land. I actually thought that was hilarious. That's a great in-universe way to show your nostalgia while also getting a decent joke. So I commend them for that. Now, I've talked a lot about how the actors in this movie are good, the storyline is ambitious, as well as the nostalgia is handled really well. But what's the bad of the movie? Well, the bad of the movie is that this movie is a little too ambitious for its size. I have no problem with the movie wanting to do a whole lot within its runtime. The issue becomes you can only do so much in movie format. If you want to tell a story about a particular issue, you're either going to need more time, which means you change the format, or you add a little bit more time into the movie. And this movie is not very long. This movie is, I believe it's 90 minutes, and I have to look that up. It's actually about 114 minutes with the credits. So this movie is pretty quick. It's under two hours. However, this is one of those movies where some of the ideas that they want to talk about, they either gloss over them because they're trying to keep the movie as tight as possible or they don't go as deep into it as they should because of that this movie is it feels like it leaves stuff on the court to use a sports phrase it feels like this movie has things it could have said it feels like it has opinions that it wants to say and while I can definitely hear some of them I don't hear all of them and I think that's mostly because the movie the movie could have honestly removed one or two factors in it and I think it could have been just as tight as it was for it to be 114 minutes and to touch on as many of the features, as many of the ideas as it did, 
is commendable. It does speak to Greta Gerwig and her vision for the movie. I do think if this movie maybe cut like five to ten minutes off, it would be even better. You know, that's that's just me. Also, another thing with the movie, this movie I like the I like the comedy in it. While as I said with the story, it feels like they could have cut some of the story out. It also feels like they underutilized the Barbies that were in the movie. There are so many Barbies that you'll see in the trailers and I got to be honest with you guys, it feels like you barely see the Barbies or the Kens outside of Barbie and Ken. So while that's not a bad thing, it does make me wonder why did they put so many high profile people into this movie when they could have gotten away with different actors especially with the amount of work they had these actors doing and it's not that they're bad none of the actors are bad it just felt like the cast was underutilized from outside the very top they were utilized well it felt like every other part of the cast was underutilized and i would have appreciated if we got more participation from everyone else. But that's that's just me. Now, what do I feel about just the summary as a whole? Sum up this review. This movie stands on the shoulders of its nostalgia. It also stands on the shoulders of Roby, Ferreira, and Gosling. So if those three don't work, this movie doesn't work. Thankfully, those three do work. There's plenty of funny moments with this movie, mostly around the Kens. I'm not going to lie. The Kens are probably the most hilarious part of this movie. So while the cast feels a little underused for it to be that many high profile names, while the story feels like it could have been tighter and while it was ambitious it felt like it was a little bit overly so i could honestly take all that away by saying i had a lot of fun in this movie this is a one part nostalgia trip one part deconstruction of patriarchy and showing how Certain systems hurt all of us, not only some of us. So I would give this movie a low fine dining. I think it's good. I think it's very good. I do not think it's in the upper echelons. Simply because when I left the movie, I felt like this movie could have said a whole lot more. And it either missed the mark or some of it's on the cutting room floor. So we'll see in the coming months if that's true or if it isn't. If you guys disagree with my opinion, if you want to say, no, I loved Barbie more than Oppenheimer. I loved it less, whatever. 
please feel free to leave a comment in the comment section below or email me or even hit me up on now x which is dumb uh, it's not great but yeah hit me up in whatever way you can and I'll be glad to hear from you guys say what you will about Christopher Nolan the man knows how to make some epic movies it's built into his DNA we're talking about the same guy that made the Batman trilogy that most people really like which is you know Batman Begins Dark Knight Dark Knight Rises also he made a couple of other really good movies we're talking about Inception we're talking about Dunkirk Christopher Nolan has a reputation for making things that are broad that are very very big in scope even though the stories might be incredibly small in terms of the effects that they have also he loves him some practical effects he loves to do things where you do it live because when you do it live when you have practical effects even if you remaster a movie if you improve the graphics when you do something live and you can see those practical effects in scope it really really builds and makes the thing you're looking at even better especially when you're looking at it on a theater screen so with Oppenheimer one of the big things was they simulate the atomic bomb and Christopher Nolan decided we're going to do it live. And he had some effects guys come in and they simulated an explosion that was similar to an atomic blast, at least the initial blast without the whole radiation and death thing. That is incredible. And when you see it in the theaters, obviously it's a spectacle. But what about the rest of the movie? Is the script good? Is Killian Murphy good to play J. Robert Oppenheimer? Is Matt Damon good enough to play General Leslie Groves? Is Florence Pugh good enough in this movie? So let's really dive into Oppenheimer and I'll tell you what I like what I don't like and let's get into it so one of the first things you will notice about the movie Oppenheimer is it is a movie where it does not tell a linear story it is a movie where it does it it tells a story in flashbacks as well as telling its story in flashes to the present so the movie starts out with Oppenheimer reading a statement to a board of people who they are you find out a little bit later but he's trying to get reinstated or at least get a security clearance reinstated so he's going through this entire inquiry where they're going through his initial life as well as the things he's done when he was younger so he starts telling the story about him being in school and we learn from that 
all the way up to and through the development of the atomic bomb. Sounds simple enough. And it is, to be honest. This is a very simple and easy to understand story. The parts of this story that bring praise from either the critics or the moviegoers isn't the fact that the story is simple. It's the execution, which is my first big thumbs up in regards to this movie. This movie executes and it leaves everything on the cutting room floor. It does not take a second more than it needs to in order to tell any part of the story that it needs to tell. So in that way, this movie, it's three hours long. And I walked in there with a full theater, whole bunch of people. So this movie is three hours long. I'm expecting people to walk out at a certain point for people to be getting disgruntled because this movie is three hours long and three hour long movies do have a tendency to get on people's nerves naturally so it's a lot of time to spend in a movie theater when I got out of the movie theater I did not realize how much time had passed however it definitely did not feel like three hours. It felt like every single moment was carefully crafted and considered. So that way, even though it was a three hour movie, it felt like you needed all three of those hours outside of maybe one or two set pieces to tell the story that you were going to tell. So that's a huge up and a huge you know praise to Christopher Nolan he directed this movie i think incredibly well and he gave everyone the right amount of time not that he didn't give everybody enough time he gave everybody who i felt the right amount of time so that's one thing second thing I need to give props to is the cast. Killian Murphy kills it as J. Robert Oppenheimer. Not to talk about how many people J. Robert Oppenheimer inadvertently did in with his development, but I thought he played this character as incredibly nuanced. This is not somebody who is one note. J. Robert Oppenheimer in this movie comes off as somebody who loves the science. He loves discovery and exploration. He also has a moral center. He's also a guy who's deeply troubled by some of the things he's done in his life. And he doesn't necessarily run away from most of those things. He tries to confront them. He tries to just move on and really live his life i also really like how this oppenheimer guy this guy you could understand the kind of person he was and this is where i'm gonna hold this up to hollywood magic instead of this being the real person i'm not sure how smooth j robert oppenheimer was Killy Murphy would have you believe he was a smooth criminal 
or at least a smooth scientist in the frame of like a less rich, less attractive Tony Stark. I'm not sure how much that I'm not sure how much of that is the case. We'll have to see in regards to that. I'll I've done some research. It doesn't look like that is the case, but I'll have to do some more to let you guys know later on. But I really liked him in the movie. Emily Blunt does not have a lot of scenes in this movie. I think she absolutely holds her own, though, in every single scene in this movie. Because this is a big, big cast. This movie has so many recognizable names. You could just glance off at the side. People who might have maybe four lines of dialogue and you look at them, you say, oh, man, I know that guy. I really like that guy. My example is uh, Tim Decay. He was the lead in a TV show called White Collar. I used to really like that show, and he was one of the leads for like four or five seasons. He only has like less than half a page of lines, and he's on screen for only this particular portion of the movie. But I looked and I was like, oh, Tim Decay's in here. I'm glad that guy's working. And I think that is something that you're going to run into an incredible amount in regards to this movie. You're going to see so many well-known names. Barbie had a lot of star-studded cast. Oppenheimer has just as much, if not more. I'm not honestly sure which one has more in terms of the level of fame for the cast. One of the big standouts for me in regards to this movie wasn't actually Killian Murphy or Emily Blunt. It was Matt Damon, who played, as I said before, General Leslie Groves. He was a standout in that he seemed like he was Oppenheimer's military, uh, you know, not rival. It seemed like in terms of personality, they were right there, neck and neck with each other, even though you knew they have very different goals in this movie. So it felt like they were equals in their own way, even if they weren't in others. Also, another person, another person that stood out was Robert Downey Jr. He played Louis Strauss. I did not know Robert Downey Jr. was even in this movie. So when he came on, it was a surprise it took me like a half second to realize, oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. And I do like seeing Robert Downey Jr. in these roles. I like seeing him in roles where he can really chew up some scenery, which everybody in this movie is able to do, and really just show off the fact that, hey, I'm an actor. I am more than Tony Stark, which you know if you're a fan of Robert Downey Jr., before the MCU. I just like this movie as it is a great little end point onto those movies and saying, yes, I am a great actor outside of these movies. Here is an example. So he's great in this movie. Florence Pugh 
was great in the scenes that she was in. Josh Hartnett was really good as uh, Ernest Lawrence. He was good in this movie. And you really look at it down the line. There are so many really good actors who are in this movie just sprinkled throughout this entire movie and even actors that you may know but you don't know very well this movie is filled to the brim with so many people who you just look at and you say oh i know that guy but the big difference between just being a movie where you have so many recognizable faces it feels like everyone has a goal it feels like the people in this movie are people it does not feel like they are just there to show their face it feels like hey if this person is a scientist they are here as a scientist and you see them there as a scientist if they're there as a military person they're there as a military person etc etc this movie doesn't feel like it have any superfluous characters which i think is the biggest amount of praise you can give when you have this large of a cast it doesn't feel like this name or this person was way too big to be in the role that they were in it definitely feels like this was cast very carefully and you know i gotta i gotta give it props for that now i've talked about execution i've talked about the cast so let's talk about the effects the effects in this movie are really good mainly because it looks like it's real stuff do not get a ton of cgi in this movie there is some cgi it's simple stuff it's not anything that will stand out but what i really like is the fact that they i really like the fact that in this movie they really go out of their way to well and truly keep it as practical as possible which you can do in this kind of movie you can't make an avengers endgame super practical effects you have to use a lot of cgi and good cgi in a movie where most of the movie they are talking they're sitting down in rooms in buildings talking that's what you can do you can have a ton of physical sets and tell your stories there so they took full advantage of that and i tip my hat to them for that because it definitely did come across that also i'm gonna give another uh shout out to christopher nolan in that he chose to keep the movie not super dark throughout this is a this is a criticism that he has had and a rightful one and that sometimes he'll keep a movie dark you know it said that Zack snyder ran because christopher nolan walked in terms of not lighting a scene very well this movie everything seems like it's lit particularly well also the sound the sound was honestly great to hear just i could hear everyone talking at every single moment 
you do not know how big of a deal that is in regards to a movie. Especially nowadays when the sound design and the sound mix seems to be all over the place depending on the movie theater you go to or the movie chain you go to. So I give big props for that. Now, I've talked so much praise about this movie. So what are the downsides about this movie? Well, there's one or two. I will say that these downsides do knock it from the top spot. But it doesn't knock it very far. So this movie obviously is an R-rated movie. And there is a couple of sex scenes in this movie. My opinion is this. One of those sex scenes I understand. One of those scenes where it's with Florence Pugh and Killian Murphy. One of those scenes I really understand. One of those sex scenes, I really don't. And really, you don't see them having sex. It's just people being naked. In one of those scenes, I didn't need to see people naked. I understood the symbolism behind it. It made sense in regards to why it was being shown, what was being seen by which character in the movie. It all made sense. At no point was I lost. I just felt it was unnecessary, especially the scene in the conference room. If you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. That felt a little unnecessary. That's just me. I could be wrong. I think they didn't. I think having the first one, I was fine with. The second one felt way too not exploitive although kind of the second scene felt unnecessary and honestly you could have gone through this entire movie without either sex scene and instead had them fully clothed and i think gotten the exact same i think you could have gotten the exact same goal and end point out of it in regards to the movie so that's just me I'm not a director I'm not a writer I just think this scene wasn't necessary so much so I have to take points off for that outside of that my final review is this there are some movies that are better than the sum of its parts that's what you would want that's a great thing to have you can have bad scene here or there and you could have some really good scenes and when you put those really good scenes together you get something even better than the movie probably has any right to be this is that movie this movie is so good. It is so cohesive. If you are a person that likes movies where people are just talking and you get your excitement from seeing the drama and the internal conflict that can come from just their visual performance as well as their audio performance, this is the movie for you. If you're the kind of person that doesn't like that, do not go near this movie. You're going to have a bad time. But if you are that person, Please 
This is a high fine dining situation. Go see this movie if you have the chance and if you have the time to see this movie. Because I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I hope that review helps. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. You could hit me up on X now. Dumb name. Or you could hit me up on Instagram or on Spotify and or iTunes. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me in several places. You can contact me on Twitter at Two Sides Coin. You can find us on Instagram at Two Sides of a Coin. That's T-W-O-S-I-D-E-Z of a coin, all one word. You can email us at two sides podcast at gmail.com and you can listen to the podcast on podbean on spotify and also on apple Podcasts. so we hope to really hear from you guys i love to hear and discuss anything you guys want to talk about and we'll talk to you later